And good morning. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Men, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Keep being present with those kids. And dad, if you're listening, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, my, you were 40 when I was born. I'm finding out what it's like to have an active toddler in your 40s. I'm getting a little glimpse of what it might have been like for you um, when I was that age. So thank you and, and happy Father's Day. Um, her name was Deborah Johnson, and she wrote something in the Christian Reader. She had a daughter, seven years old, that wanted to learn how to play the violin. So she took her daughter to the music store and let her pick out a violin that they were going to rent and that she was going to learn how to play on. And her mother had a concern about her being at this young age, learning how to play this instrument. So she said this to her daughter. There may be times when you feel like giving up, but I want you to hang in there and keep on trying. Her daughter nodded and looked at her mother and had a very serious voice and said, it'll be just like marriage, right, Mommy? <laughs> I admire the tenacity of that little girl and that mother because we have struggles, right? I mean, it's not always easy to be a, a spouse, a Christian spouse, or a Christian parent, or a Christian employer, or a Christian employee. Sometimes you've got all the normal duties with an extra layer of difficulty in your efforts to do it in a way that would please and glorify God. As a matter of fact, just being a Christian in America could be an increasingly difficult thing to do. You may or may not have heard about the Supreme Court decision, uh, decision just this past week. Uh, there was a decision made that uh, there would be a new protected class, that those who uh, are same-sex attracted will have the same protections under the law as those of any given race or gender. And there was a very interesting comment that was made in regard to this. It was made by a man named Rod Dreher. You may or may not know that name. He wrote a book called The Benedict Option. And in The Benedict Option, it lays out a strategy uh, to be a Christian in an increasingly less Christian culture. And in response to this decision, uh, Rod Dreher wrote this in an article this past week. He said, Today's ruling could only have been possible in post-Christian America. An America that no longer believes what the Bible teaches us about the human person, about maleness and femaleness. That could mean a lot of things, but traditional Christians should realize at least this. We are exiles in this land and had better adjust our conduct and our aspirations to reflect that new reality. Now, perhaps that should have always been the reality. But if you had faith in the bulwark of a Republican Party or a Supreme Court, perhaps your faith in that bulwark should be diminishing a bit. And whether or not you face persecution on a national basis, as a matter of fact, I'm not exactly sure what this ruling means for churches that's still being worked out, you will face some kind of conflict and condemnation at some point in your experience as being a Christian. And what I want to talk about this morning is this. How do we persevere in an increasingly hostile culture? How do we persevere in an increasingly hostile culture? The text I want to look at today comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 26 through 39. It's a little lengthier 
reading. It's a little longer text, but it's a very important text. I ask you please to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that, your, that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You may be seated. So we're continuing in the book of Hebrews, which has the theme, and please say it with me, don't stop believing. Oh, we can do better than that. You've been hearing me say this for months now. Let's say that together. Don't stop believing. Oh, that was excellent. Thank you. So we're seeing a group of people who are under persecution. They have been, and they will continue to be persecuted. And the writer knows this, and he's seeking to encourage them. He wants them to have confidence in the one in whom they have trusted. And you saw that passage this morning. This is a tough one. Some severe warnings that echo something that we heard back in Hebrews chapter 6. I want to start out this morning by giving you the application of the text this morning. Actually, that'll be my three points, the three applications. First of all, accept God's ultimate authority. And then secondly, remember the past. Third, keep growing. That's how we're going to apply the text that you just heard. I want to go through now and talk about these three points and the verses that are concerning them. So first of all, we see that we have to accept God's ultimate authority. Accept God's ultimate authority. And looking then again at verse uh, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 26, it says there, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, what's going on here in this verse, these verses? At first glance, it's like, my gosh, uh, 
I stubbed my toe yesterday and said a bad word. I stubbed my toe this morning and said a bad word. Did I lose my salvation? Am I continuing to deliberately sin? And by doing so, am I in danger of the fire of hell? Is that what's happening here in these verses? Well, I think we need to unpackage a bit what sin specifically is being discussed. Look at the description of the person who commits the deliberate sin the text is talking about. Now, to do that, we've got to skip down a few verses. Now, look at this description. Um, talking from verse 29. It says, how much worse punishment do you think? And then there's several phrases here used to describe this person. Uh, Will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace. Now, let's talk about these. So first of all, it says they trampled the Son of God underfoot. Now that means that this person is treating with complete disdain the person of Jesus Christ. What they have believed about Christ, they have blown off. They have heard the truth, but are now completing it as though it doesn't even matter. They have a contemptuous view of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, says they have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Profane means to defile something. Uh, something that was holy is now, con- is now treated as though <clears throat> it doesn't even matter. Uh, it, it had once sanctified this person, the text says, but then they have profaned it. It's no longer holy. Now, what do I do with this, this section? This has echoed the same sentiment in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. This is speaking of someone who at least had the appearance of trusting Christ at some point. But again, remaining in the faith is one of the marks of a true believer. Now they have profaned this covenant This covenant, this covenant made by the blood of Christ, the new covenant. And then next it says they've outraged the spirit of grace. That is to say they have angered God himself by their willful rejection of him. Now, no doubt that's going to lead to to great consequences. What are the consequences for someone who has done such a thing, who's treating Christ this way, profaned his blood, Well, this goes, again, back to verse 28. I'm going to step back there. It says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, he's starting with the old covenant. In the old covenant, just by the witness of two or three people, if someone broke certain laws of Moses, they would be put to death. But then look what it says. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved? based on all those things that we just read. We see the consequences in verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's only one unforgivable sin out there. Only one. It is the sin of disbelief. 
This wrath of God that's being spoken of in this passage is not something commonly talked about in Christianity. We love to talk about the love of God. <clears throat> and it is an infinite love that he has for us. But he also has this infinite wrath. There's a theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf. I was just introduced to this man at a conference I went to this past fall. He's, he's actually a, um, a professor at Yale Divinity School. And he spoke about how difficult it was for him to grasp the wrath of God. He thought that the idea of an angry God was uh, barbaric and just completely uh, over and against the loving God that we profess to believe in. But then when his country went through war, he's from Yugoslavia, I'm sorry, he's from Croatia, uh, and, but when his, uh, when his country experienced a brutal war, he started to change his understanding he started to see the necessity of God's wrath. He saw the atrocities and the, the villages burnt down. He said, my last, my last resistance to the idea of God's wrath, he said, was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from where I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed. Three, three million people were displaced. Villages and cities destroyed. People shelled day in and day out. Some brutalized beyond imagination. He said, I could not imagine. He said, I could not imagine God not being angry. He said, or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century. Uh, 800,000 people hacked to death in 100 days. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrator's basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? He goes on to say, though I used to complain about the, the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Did you catch that? You can't have one without the other. A God who is infinitely loving is a God who cannot stand injustice. And vengeance is His. And He will repay. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We accept His full authority in all matters. We submit first and foremost to God in everything. No matter what happens, we submit to Him. So we accept His authority. And then I want to also talk about um, this need to remember the past, the need to remember the past. We go to Hebrews 10, verses 32 uh, through 34. And it says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So in the past, these Hebrews had endured some severe suffering and difficulty, and we see these four forms of persecution they endured. It says they endured 
public ridicule and persecution. Uh, this was verbal, it was physical. They were made public spectacles because of their faith and what was going on. And if you've ever been teased or bullied publicly, you know what it's like to be the subject of public ridicule, even if it's for a moment. And they were being intentionally and publicly ridiculed. And then secondly, sometimes they were partners with those so treated. Now this is important because it speaks to their identification. They weren't willing to pretend like they did not know those who were being publicly persecuted. That's not an easy thing to do. There was a big problem in the early church with knowing what to do with those who claimed not to be a Christian when they had trusted Christ because they were unwilling to also go through that same persecution as their brothers and sisters. And then third, it said you had compassion on those in prison. They didn't just abandon those who had been taken out and put in jail. They cared for their families. They went and visited them. They weren't out of sight and out of mind. And then finally, and listen to this, it says you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now this is actually documented in history. In 49 AD, there was something called the Edict of Claudius that went out and the Jews if in fact these Hebrews were among those that were living in Rome, it's most people believe that they were, this edict of Claudius went out and it was commanded that these, these Christian Jews would have their possessions taken away, their homes taken away. And look how they responded. They were joyful about it. Uh, how, how is this possible? Yeah, they were joyful for no other reason than their commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I read that, I hear it, but this speaks to their spiritual condition. They were not bitter about these things that had happened to them. <clears throat> How did they do that? Because they knew they had something far, far better in store for them. That's how they didn't become bitter. They had such a high view of what was to come, they were willing to endure this momentary affliction that they were going through. Can you find strength and encouragement from the stories of other people? Uh, you know, the same Holy Spirit that resided in them resides in us as well. And you know what? I'm sure they had teens that talked back to them. I'm sure they weren't happy all the time. I'm sure they had toddlers that were a handful. I'm sure they struggled with depression and mental illness. I'm sure they struggled with these things. But they had a strong faith and a very high view of what was to come. And by the grace of God, they did it. And you know what? We can too. I don't think we ever know what we're truly capable of until we are tested against it. I'm moved by letters that the church fathers wrote. The generation that came just after the, one that were the, the ones that were the biblical writers. Uh, you may know names like Augustine and Polycarp and Ignatius. There was one church father by the name of Ignatius that wrote letters to churches. And he wrote one 
to the church in Rome and said this. This is actually when he was on his way to his own death. said, the one near to the sword is near to God. And he who is in the midst of the beasts is in the midst of God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus Christ so as to suffer together with him. I endure all things because he, the perfect man, empowers me. Do you really believe that Christ will empower you to endure whatever it is you're going through? Whatever beasts, these were lions that he was going to be subjected to in the, in the arena. And he wrote another letter. Actually, he wrote a letter to a pagan that he was evangelizing. Diognetus was his name. And this is a letter <clears throat> that he wrote, this evangelistic letter, Ignatius, to this man, Diognetus. He said this, Do you not see how they are thrown to the wild beasts to make them deny the Lord, and yet they are not conquered? Do you not see that as more of them are punished, the more others increase? These things do not look like human works. They are the power of God. They are proofs of His presence. Are you in a situation where you need the proof of God's presence? In every challenge we face, we are there to make God look good. And He'll be with us. And these are the testimonies, these past voices that we can listen to because it's true so we remember we can live by this powerful god we can joyfully endure suffering even we are when we are marginalized by society because of the beliefs that we hold that do not fit with the culture and i think that's becoming us more and more stark contrast pray for our young people who are in schools, elementary students, junior high students, high school students, they are in the throes of this. And they are having to take harder stands, I believe, at this moment than you and I ever had to take. So remember the past. And then finally, he says, you need to keep growing. You need to keep growing. This comes from this next set of verses. <clears throat> I'm gonna look at the remainder. And notice in this last set of verses, there's two things people are told not to do. First of all, I don't know why that shrunk up. Um, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. That is to say, continue to publicly identify with those who are being persecuted. Keep growing in that sense. It's not just about growth in the sense of gaining more knowledge, although we should be learning more. It's also enduring these tests and difficulties that are going to come our way. And he's also, he says, uh, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, don't shrink back. Don't cower. Don't give up. If you shrink back, according to verse 39, you'll be destroyed. This is why we always have to keep moving forward. There's a wonderful scene in the movie Patton where George C. Scott stands down to give this speech in front of a great big American flag. And I'll never forget one set of words he said. Is, he said, I don't want to hear about anybody maintaining their position. Everywhere and all the time, you have to keep advancing, keep moving forward. That's what the church has to do. I'm so excited we've got this new associate pastor coming here, pastor of community life and outreach, bringing us together closer as a community and 
looking at ways we can get out, reach out into Sheridan where there are thousands of people that need to be influenced by the saints here at First Baptist Church. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. That is not the people of First Baptist Church. We are those who preserve our souls by our faith. That's who we are. That's what we're going to do. You know, we're always moving towards maturity. Uh, I'm looking out my back window right now in our house, and everything's green, and it's, it's blossoming. It's growing. There's a little birdhouse and an apple tree out back that's got these tree swallows, and we're waiting for the eggs to hatch that are in that nest. That's the season that we are in right now. When it comes to Christian growth also, there are seasons that come and go. I love this quote by Guthrie. He said, in a similar manner, we experience the ebb and flow, the rotation of seasons in the Christian life. Some periods seem as vibrant as spring. The presence of God is as real to us as the presence of a spouse or friend in the next room. Other periods seem more dormant. The signs of life have been having been removed from our perception for the time being, leaving us to make right choices, to think right thoughts. In the midst of a spiritual dryness, both kinds of, both kinds of times play an important part in the big picture of Christian development. What kind of season are you in right now? Does it feel vibrant? Are you learning about God? Are you getting truths revealed about yourself? Or is it a different kind of season where you're simply having to make the right choices on a daily basis, doing the right thing? What do you need? You know, in this passage, we have both the carrot and the stick. We have a promise of heavenly eternal rewards, but we also have a stark warning. Do not fall into the hands of the living God. Do you need to remember the past voices so you'll be encouraged, knowing that we are not facing anything new? As a matter of fact, we have enjoyed the gravy train in the United States of America for a long, long time, but I'm wondering if the train's coming back to the station. So putting this all together, keep moving forward, motivated by past saints and perilous times. Keep moving forward. Stay in the race. Don't give up. There's a story that I came across this past week about two men, both named Bill, Bill Rogers uh, and Bill Broadhurst. Bill Broadhurst is a Christian. He'd suffered a, a brain aneurysm. It left him paralyzed on one side. His, he his, his hero was a, a man by the name of Bill Rogers, and they both entered a, a foot race. It was a, a race. It was a 10K. It was a Pepsi challenge down in Omaha, Nebraska. They both entered this race. And Bill Broadhurst was going to run this with his paralyzed condition. So the race starts. Bill Rogers, the man he had always looked up to, finished this 10K, uh, 6.2 miles, in 29 minutes. The other Bill was not going to have such a time. He began the race, and he was moving as fast as he could. But he was substantially slower than everybody else. As a matter of fact, he was practically dragging one side of his body the further he went. It was hurting him more and more. As, I was getting, as, as he was getting close to the end, he saw that all the banners and things had been taken down. As a matter of fact, people were kind of mocking him, saying, hey, you, you missed a good race. But he decided he was going to finish 
the race anyway. And he did. And out of an alleyway, he didn't even know they were there, his, fin, his friend Bill Rogers came out along with a group of other people to greet him and to congratulate him. They'd waited an hour and a half after they had all finished to make sure that when he crossed that finish line, he knew that there were people waiting on him that embraced him, put their arms around him, told him good job. As a matter of fact, his friend Bill Rogers took the gold medal off his neck and put it around his friends. Stay in the race. Cross the finish line. Prepare to feel those arms of saints that have gone on before you to put their arms around you when you get there. Please pray with me. God, we're all in this race, and Lord, we all are all running at a different pace. We're at different places in our Christian walks. It looks differently for each person in there. Lord, we have circumstances that you have divinely placed us in that are challenging us. Lord, I pray that no matter what, we will always submit ourselves to you, that we would fear you above any person or institution or authority. Lord, I pray that we would not forget these saints that have gone on before us, that have faced well beyond, probably, God, what we'll ever see, but that we will stay faithful. And God, I pray that we would never become stagnant in our walk, that we would faithfully go through whatever challenge we have. God, whether it be a marriage, Lord, or even healing from a divorce that maybe we've gone through or accepting your grace, God, whatever it may be, that we would continue to grow, that we continue to meet together. We ask in the name of Jesus, we pray.